0: I'm Michelle Olivier, and you're listening to Hey, I Want Your Job, the podcast that looks at amazing jobs and what it takes to get them. Welcome to Hey, I Want Your Job. And today I am joined by somebody who is exciting to me. He's a personal friend and an awesome human being. And I kind of have his job, but different. My dear, my darling, my Dan Roth, what is your job title? My
1: official one or my non-official. Let's uh, start
0: official and then we'll go non-official.
1: All right. My official one is I'm a technical recruiter. For Amazon, my non-official one, depending on who you ask, is a lot of things. <laughs> I get paid to be a corporate trainer, a public speaker. I do basically upwards of two summits per month. And some would consider me one of the top recruiters out there right now on a global level. Not my words.
0: So, <laughs> no. Le- I want to talk about that because it has not always been thus, obviously. No. So, quick fact time, how long have you technically been a recruiter for? Three months. <laughs> and how long have you been a job search influencer?
1: 11
0: months. That sounds like you hear how that sounds out loud, right? That's, a, that's remarkable. You're remarkable, but... Definitely a part of what you do is the secret sauce that is just Dan Roth. Just showing up and being you and just being too damn lovable for us to not all follow wherever you lead.
1: (laughs) But part of 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 what you've done...
0: (laughs) But part of it is also, like, you're fucking smart at what you do. So for everybody out there who thinks they're an influencer or thinks they want to be an influencer talk us through how this happened. Because before, for, I know, but for everybody else, before you were a recruiter and recruitment influencer, what was your last job before that?
1: I was a global project manager for clinical trials. I worked with some of the largest pharmaceutical companies in, in the world. To be quite honest with you, I wasn't very good at it, but I could, I could talk my way out of pretty much anything.
0: So that's a really big jump.
1: Uh-huh.
0: How did all of this happened. Talk us through the story. I
1: could be long-winded. I'll try to keep it concise because I've had to repeat this enough times, but the long story short of it is I've actually, this is my fourth career. I started off as a, my degrees in journalism, and then I was a managing editor for, for a number of years, and then I moved out to California, and I was working retail, but went into telecommunications. From telecommunications, I wound up going into healthcare, figured it out. I really loved healthcare. And then from healthcare, that kind of coincided project management. And to make a long story short, I was part of a company that was going through multiple reshuffles. I was actually called to fly cross country on five hours notice to start up um, a new department and what, and essentially I got tired of the reshuffling. It was causing me to have severe anxiety attacks and wound up getting, um, talking to a company that we worked with and I wound up coming on board in February of, I believe it was 2020 and I was the regional manager in charge of project managers in a software development company. And I then shortly thereafter, three months later, lost my job. This is another story for another time, but... I think the answer I've most often given is that it's a result of the pandemic. The reality was I was going through burnout and postpartum depression. And I also wasn't, so I wasn't putting my best foot forward. So I went through, I I didn't think at 36 years old, I was going to want to pivot, but it's a very small world clinical trials. And I basically used up every resource I had. And as the last stitch effort, I went on next door. You heard me right next door. And I said, does anybody have any leads? And one person mentioned I should go on and make myself present for job seekers, something like that. And I rearranged my resume. I did, you know, I did all that kind of good stuff. And start, and I said, if, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to be very open and honest. So I went on, I said, the first thing I did was I said, hi, my name's Dan. I'm neurodiverse and I own it. And I did that very scarily because I knew that that was going to, prevent me from getting certain jobs where there was inherent bias. But at the same time, I was so tired of coming in with other people's expectations that I wanted to set my own expectations of myself. And in doing so, I was really able to to build relationships with people very quickly. But at the same time, I was looking around and I noticed that there were plenty of people doing these connection posts, but there was nobody that was connecting job seekers to recruiters. So I said, just kind of on a lark, let me try to fill. And I created Job Connection Tuesdays. And first of all, I hate the name. I like some, that's, that's something a lot of people don't know. I I absolutely hate the name. I think it's like the least creative thing in the world, but it was based off of at that time, like they were doing these connection posts. I I actually, believe it or not, the please she'll probably be watching. It very much was based off of what Carolyn Christie was doing, which makes sense. Although I'm catching up to her.
0: Am gonna lie?
1: yeah, I'm catching up to her pretty quick. So I don't think she's so happy about that. But anyway, so I started doing that and I didn't expect anything to come. It was like, it was one of those things where either, so I get to help job seekers, which is huge for me, but also at the same time, I look better for employers and I can make connections. And I realized very quickly that there were people that kept on coming by the third week, we had 18,000 views. So I thought, okay, I'm onto something. And you called me smart a lot of this was just kind of intuitive for me which is something i've had to realize is kind of a skill i have because i I haven't really taken ownership of that fact but i figured if i'm going to do this and i want to network with the people that are going to help this demographic so i started meeting with coaches i started uh, networking with coaches and resume writers and other recruiters and i started building the network up and I started, and then as people were coming in from all different parts of the world, I started looking for recruiters in all the different parts of the world. And then eventually we got to a point where it was like 30,000 people per week were doing it. I was getting four or 500 comments. I'm like, okay, so I told you I'm long-winded. So let me, thank you.
0: No way, I got you.
1: so, So let me narrow this down. So I wound up going up for a job that I really wanted. Missed out on Anna Morgan, career BFF, called me up, said, hey, I want to offer you coaching at no cost. Started getting calls from recruiters about going into recruitment, still didn't want to change. Finally said, let me get my head on my ass and, and just go for it. The, the day that I decided to switch into recruitment, I took I started 50 hours worth of recruitment courses. The next week I had, whether or not you want to call it, or I'll call it an internship, call it what you want. It was a, it was a pile of shit, but six weeks, <laughs> six weeks later. Yeah. I see that smile on your face. Uh, is this yeah, listening right no, now? no, yeah, y- you are just listening, but like, I, I got to that point. I could call it what I saw. And anyway, six weeks later, I went on this Facebook group, jobs for I said, Hey, this is what I do. This is how I've built myself. I'm looking for opportunity. And I got call from Amazon. And within two meetings, I had a job.
0: So many things to unpack at within that. So one of the things that you started with was the vulnerability that you shown on LinkedIn, and you talked about being neurodiverse. But that's like that much of the vulnerability that you let out there. So let's be more. Uh, here. Because okay, you talk right. about. Being a dad and the fact that that fucking sucks some days. And you talk about being, you do a lot of work around grappling with white privilege and how that's fucking hard. That like your life is not always perfect. And yet at the same time, as people with pale skin, we have to own that however hard our life is today, one of the problems we don't have is that when we walk down the street, we walk down the street with black skin. So you do a lot of work in that and, and the emotional vulnerability that you experience around that. You do a lot of work around mental health. When your dad got sick and you talked on LinkedIn really openly about how you were feeling and what effect that had, and you have consistently been vulnerable, but done this really good job of sharing that in a non-cringy, super authentic way that does not become the whole narrative if that makes sense. Like it's always done in a way that's, this is a piece of who I am and it's an important piece right now, but also, hey, let's get some people some jobs. So (laughs) if I tried to do that, it would sound fake as fuck. Like I just, I couldn't be, I don't have a problem sharing those things. Like I don't have a problem with it, but if I tried to come out and just like it on the table the way you do, I, I, it just wouldn't work the way it has to you. What is it? I guess my first question is, was there some moment where you were like, Dan, everybody loves it when you're vulnerable, quick. Tell them about being <laughs> like, share this sub story, my man. Was there any part of you that was calculating in that way or where it was intentional? Or, and then my second question is, how do you get that balance between being, being authentic, being vulnerable, but not being off puttingly so?
1: So it's a great question. I'm going to share some things with you. And I knew that I would. So, so, just for reference, for everyone, we were initially supposed to do this like in the beginning of January. So, this kind of off the hook. But there's a lot of dynamic that goes into that. So, to give you some background that most people don't know. Being neurodiverse played a large role in my ability to be vulnerable because growing up i dealt with so many things on an emotional level that i wound up having to become extremely self-aware and and the reason is is because like i have something called language processing disorder which means i know what i'm trying to say but it doesn't now it's cold it doesn't always come out the way that i have it up here so what would happen is As I was trying to get it out, some dumb shit would come out. I would start getting bullied. So I was constantly having to analyze what I was doing. And through that bullying process, I also kind of curated in my mind, like, I, these stories. And I tried to make myself into this thing where I was in my own movie and the reason I did that looking back and this is not something I've ever like really explored on a mental level but I think one of the reasons that I did that is because a lot of these movies have happy endings and I was so desperate to be able to curve in my own mind what I was going through in a way that would have a happy ending that I wound up internalizing a lot of this and I think that's one of the reasons I graduated with a degree in journalism, because I was able to cultivate. But it's not all, it's not all peaches. I would also, I was very bad because I would lie all the time. I would tell people stories that were maybe 10% of the truth, but I would blow it up into this like cool thing because I wanted to be accepted. And I got very, very good at it. So when it comes to the posts that I do and how they're tailored, a large part of it is intuitive because that's just the way I am now, but it was all predicated on growing up and having to, to really create my own vision for how I was and what place I had in the world to keep myself from going down the proverbial rabbit hole. And I still did it at times. There were points of really severe depression, anxiety that I don't always get into.
0: With that, I think it's a normal human thing. And I know I'm really guilty of this, that I lie in bed at night and I think about shit I did today, like every client meeting and I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I said this. I hope they didn't take that this crazy way. I wish that I had said this. I even, I think one time I sent you a text and your reply was, I'm not an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) And my immediate response was to laugh. And then, like, later, I was like, oh, shit, I hope he didn't think I was calling him. And I was like, calm down, calm down. And like, I had to talk myself down from the ledge. I think that's really a normal, a very human kind of thing to go through with this, like, with how c- careful and conscientious you are about your language. Is that something that still you have to deal with as well? Or are you like, I did all that work beforehand, and now I'm good. I
1: thought there was a point in time where I thought, hey, I'm good. But the more I grew into who I am, the more I realized it's just part of my daily life. Now, I think what's changed is I have to, is I try to be more forgiving of myself, but neurodiversity for me is not something that's ever going to go away. Every time I, I, I do an event, I always lead with, my name's Dan, I'm neurodiverse, And I go into explaining a little bit of how, if I'm looking up, it's because I'm trying to imagine what I'm going to say, or if I take too long talking, it's because I'm basically buying myself time to be able to get to the point of, uh, of where I am. Like, I know I can, yeah, I know I can talk a lot. people. It's not because I'm trying to talk a lot. And what people may be surprised by is when I'm truly comfortable, I'm actually very quiet. Like my dad and I used to have this thing growing up it would drive my mom not to because she doesn't shut up and I I love her to death but she doesn't shut up where she would come in I would say I just want to spend time with my dad and then she would see my dad and I watching tv in the same room and she come in and she said I thought you want to spend time with your dad I said I do but you're not talking well it's because we're just comfortable around each other
0: I feel you. like that's all I need my bestie and I that's how we hang we both sit in companionable silence on the sofa, both on our phones. Sometimes we even send each other things on the phone when we are sat next to, like next to each other and it's that companionable silence. Oh, there's nothing that my little introvert heart loves more than people that I can just shut the fuck up. So I, I feel you on that 100%. And I love the way that you talk about that you're buying yourself time with talking and like that that's a trick of the trade i just love how completely authentic you are i know that so i'm dyslexic and so when i was and for a long time i was a trainer and when i was training i would always start with hey just everybody knows i'm dyslexic if i misspell something if you can't read my handwriting just give me a shout and i will do my best to fix it but if we can all understand what I was trying to communicate, maybe let's not get hung up on spell shaming the dyslexic chick. Yeah, and everybody would kind of laugh, and it. But it was, I had so many people come to me and talk about how, how empowering that was for them, that the person in front of them. And I think of dyslexia as a no big deal neurodivergence. Do you know what I mean? Is it inconvenient? Yes, <laughs> but it's not. I don't. I don't have like my day, I don't think of my daily life as being as impacted by it. But one of the things I do think is interesting that I have seen a lot from the little bits of ways that I am vulnerable on social media that I wonder if this is more compounded with you is that for, that there's so many people who reach out, some of them really genuinely, hey, you're awesome. Just wanted to say you're awesome and bye some people who like they want to be pain buddies for one of a better term like they want to have that like negative synergy of emotionality like you're upset about this i'm upset about this let's like i'm like ah that's you are not picking up what i'm putting down if you thought that's who i am and then there's another type as well who i don't know if they are intentionally predatory Or they come across that way, but they're like, oh, you need help, little snowflake. Let me come and help you. And then that help is tainted. Does that make sense? Like there's there's hidden strings or there's what have you.
1: That has been my
0: tiny piece of experience. Talk to me about those things.
1: First of all, you know exactly the experience that that brought up when you said it so let's just call a spade a spade i I see you i I absolutely see you and look okay so i think that's
0: fair so like i've known people who offer internships to people that are really just unpaid labor and just kind of taking advantage of them and i have seen it over and over on linkedin people like somebody will post something like hey I'm trying to switch into this industry. I'm really like hard up. Does anybody have a, a path then? And they're like, oh, let me offer you an internship. It's commission only, or it's an unpaid internship. And I feel to me, that's that. I don't know if it's intentionally predatory or if it is just like, it feels it to me. Cause I think that unpaid internships are modern slavery, but, <laughs> and I feel the same thing about hundred percent commission roles but that's my personal view. But I, that part bothers me, but the other two also intrigue me.
1: So here's, here's the interesting part. When I first started doing all this, I think I got more of the front and the back of, of the examples that you gave. I don't really deal with the middle. I just won't put up with it. My thing is, so the level of exposure that I have gotten, and for those listening, I am probably within the next hour going to be at 20,000 followers just on like that.
0: That doesn't count Clubhouse or any other platform and, 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 so.
1: Yeah, yeah, that doesn't count anything else. And I'm constantly, (laughs) I'm constantly enamored with like how this has all transpired. But the only benefit to it, or let me me rephrase, I get overwhelmed with the amount that I get but one of the only benefits i see to that is i've had to get really adept at understanding who my audience is who i want to interact with on a one on one basis and how i can create boundaries because boundaries is something that we've we've talked about i haven't always had the ability to do and i'm at the point now where i do office hours every week from for the group on linkedin that's that's core, that's connected with the collective and i pick and choose one-on-ones on on an as-needed basis and what that's really helped is alleviate a lot of those concerns about those people that are really trying to be predatory because i agree with you uh, a thousand percent in today's society with the cost of living unpaid internships are slavery point blank no questions asked.
0: I really feel like they should just be illegal. And I again feel the same way about as your 100% commission role. Because you ultimately have input but not control over that and you should be paid for your work 100% yes. every time.
1: Yeah, and here's the reality and we could get into we could get into data but since you and I are so ingrained in the abolitionist movement when we talk about you know how many families are still living under the thro- under the poverty threshold? Like black families in the United States, what is it? The, the average household income isn't even thirty thousand or something like that. That's poverty in today's society, where you can't get a two bedroom for under two thousand dollars a month. And even when you do, that's broken down rat shit. Um, we can't afford to put these people in positions and. and All these and a lot of companies will say, "Oh, the fifteen dollars minimum wage means that we're going to have to lower hours and do all this and do all that." I'm like, "Bullshit! Fifteen dollars an hour is still poverty threshold, motherfucker." Let's let's be real. Let's try to get people living wage. And it's one of the reasons that if you ask me what, what I'm most passionate about, probably one of the thing I talk about most often is educating job seekers on how to research how much they should actually get on the open market, like realistic expectation instead of settling because systemic oppression has led them to believe I can only get so much.
0: Yeah. And every time one of my clients asks me, what should we do about pay? I'm like, well, you should start by publishing everybody's pay, the whole company. That's what you should do. Put it on the door. Everybody knows because I genuinely, in my heart of hearts, believe that we cannot solve pay inequity until we have radical transparency around pay. Because until then, it's a rigged game. And because there's there's too many ways to obfuscate the reality of what your total remuneration package is. And it just drives me nuts. So you talked a lot about, like I know, and you talked a lot here about how really protective you are of the job seekers that you work with you work with recruiters you're even nice to some of us (laughs) But but like you you work with recruiters because we're kind of a necessary evil but like your heart is always with the job seekers when we talk about predatory people I am, and I think you are as well. We're in the Job Seeker Guardian group. That's Amy, Amy Miller's group on, are you not listen to a link, on LinkedIn. But it's exactly what it sounds like. It's the people that are there to protect job seekers from the, you need to pay me $800 to write your resume because the evil ATS bots will keep you out if you don't, there's no, that's not a thing. No matter how many times we tell people that's not a thing or the career coaches who don't know what the hell they're doing. And all they do is give you platitudes and a mantra or some shit, but they don't tell you this is what it actually takes to get this job. This is the steps. You know what these crap people are like. What what do you do to gatekeep against those bad players? And if somebody was going to look for those services and wasn't going through your group, like... What should they do to make sure that they don't get taken in by them?
1: So it's interesting that you bring that up because with my platform, Job Connection Tuesdays, we're at a point now where we're well over 60,000 views every week. People will come in after 90 minutes and there will be 350 comments. And they're like, holy shit, I should have got here earlier. So it's hard to police, but I'll give you an example. Two weeks ago, there was somebody that posted that they were looking for work. and this random person comes on and then says, Hey, I may have an opportunity for you. Just send me a message. And my, 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 immediate comment was no, that's not how it works here. Can you please clarify what the job is in relation to otherwise I'm going to, you're going to be removed. And she goes, she responds very nicely and she's everybody's right to choose. I said, yes, it's everybody's right to choose, but it's my fucking house. And you're going to play by my rules. I will not, under any circumstance, allow somebody to be predatory in my house. Now, it's weird for me to say in my house because everything I do is based on the idea of collaboration. But if my name is on it, it's very much my house. And I am not willing to, to allow those things to happen even this past weekend it, it's not directly related but it's still related somebody was somebody sent elizabeth lieba a very nasty message that quite frankly was racist and called her so my comment to her was i said well, are you okay with me reaching out to the owner of the company because this type of entitlement should not be tolerated first of all i was surprised to see how many people were su- surprised that a white male would take that length but second thing was within a day and a half the person was let go from the company entitlement predatory behavior whatever you want to call it it's all interlinked it doesn't work and my group is very much curated like you're one of the admins of my group although i obviously understand how busy you are and i'm very very methodical about who i choose as my admins
0: just have to say every time you point out how busy i am it always makes me laugh i'm like all right pot look (laughs) yeah the kettle's black
1: (laughs) very much very much by the way
0: this is the guy with an online empire twin daughters what is it
1: yeah i got this for jen for for work and i borrowed it for for this i was waiting for a perfect moment but didn't see one and yeah so it's very curated to make sure that none of that occurs and one of the things that you that you touched upon was the amount of bad coaches and recruiters and god you could get me on a rant that is bigger than the grand Canyon here but oh recruiters don't like me because i'm not out to, I, I know you do but that's because you and I are a different breed. Like I'm coming from 17 months on the unemployment line. I'm not coming from some corporate C-suite. I am here to change the motherfucking narrative, not to let go, not to let us concede to the status quo, because it's the status quo that people have been been maintaining for 450 years. That is the reason that we will never see, the gender and racial wealth gap truly closed in our lifetimes, if ever. So if I have to be the burgeoning voice of the white male that stands up and says, fuck that, it's time to change, then that's what I do. And by the way, I'm Middle Eastern. I'm not white.
0: <laughs> but I, think, I think that's so important. I was in a, in a group with some recruiters the other day. And this recruiter went on this rant about how you never tell a candidate who the employer is or what the pay is in the first phone call. And I was like, incorrect. absolutely fucking incorrect. Dodgy, 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 dodgy. Like, I would tell every candidate ever. First, like, I tell people, when you deal with a recruiter, have a two-second, have a two-sentence intro that's, hey, my... Most recent skill set is this. I'm looking to use these skills, boom, 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 and my next role, and I want that to be geographic, insert geographic location, paying roughly this. If you've got that, let's talk. As a recruiter, I'd be like, oh, well, thank fuck for that. That made my life so much easier. And I feel like any recruiter, any recruiter out there that is not on board with that is part of the goddamn problem. Yeah. Everybody deserves that level of transparency.
1: Let me be mindful because like it's fair for us to be friends and still not agree on everything. That's true. I agree with I agree with you on this. The entire idea of posting everybody's wage, I don't know. I haven't thought about it enough. So I don't want to like falsely falsely agree with you when I haven't taken the time to really think about it. But you're 100%. And, you know, what you're saying goes a lot to the point of what I ask people to do within my post. It's quite literally what's your title, what's your location, what do you want to do? And when people don't give it, don't give me that. I say, okay, they're corrected or you're just not going to get any attention. Because to me, this goes to the entire problem with resumes. At this juncture in the recruitment process, especially for corporate recruiters, Because I don't want to speak for staff, for staffing agencies. as have firms that like are dealing with thousands and thousands. All I really give a shit about when I look at your resume is I want to make sure that you're hitting the BQs. What is your education? What is your skill set? Those are basically the two things I'm really looking for. And then if I had to say a third, do you show data that backs up your statements? And I'll never be able to tell or confirm whether you're being accurate on that data, but if you at least know that you need to put data, then that's a step in the right direction.
0: I think it really depends on what I'm recruiting for. So all of my employers are, bless them, little snowflakes. And so they need very particular kinds of people. Like a couple of my clients are um, startups and startups are, they're their own thing, right? If you're the kind of person that likes to build a plane while you're flying it startup is for you and if you are not you should never work for a freaking startup and i look for indications that this person flies by the seat of their pants often that equates to has worked in a startup before but it can equate to other things as well and then some of the others are very there's just a type of person that is the right type of person and so much of what I do is about that because I don't work for asshole. The companies that I work with are almost always happy to train for skills, but as long as it's the right kind of person, if that makes sense.
1: That's where I looked at. That's where I look at LinkedIn because let me be yeah. very clear. Like I'm not saying.
0: Oh, I don't that, look at resumes. Sorry.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I only look at LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. And that's the entire point because I want to see skill level but i also want to look at i'm looking at things like attention for detail i'm looking at how you're presenting yourself i'm looking at some of these idiosyncrasies that tell me about your soft skills so that i know about those soft skills before we ever jump on the phone um, because one of the things about it is that a lot of people think oh you work for amazon you're dealing with multitude So, here's the thing about what I've done because of the point that I've gotten to. I am dealing only with our high level roles. That's basically amounts to executive recruiting. So, I am looking for a very, very, very specific type of person. And I'm curating my search exactly to that.
0: I would say, going along with that, like when I'm looking for an exec or somebody at that sort of really advanced level, like Richard talking about, not only do I go to their LinkedIn, but like the one of the first things I look at is their activity. I want to see what do you comment on? What do you think about things? If all I see are likes, that tells me nothing. I totally discount anything that you're because that could be their nephew. You know what I mean? But I look for what do you have to say about yourself as a really good sort of First indicator and that's what I'm selling setting up like the calibration list and all that kind of stuff for my for my searches I will also say I I wonder because you're in the tech spaces so I'm curious how you do this one of the things that all of the companies that I work for with are really keen on is treatment of women in technology and so I have a policy that the third time you interrupt me especially if you're a dude Or the third time I have to say, as I said a moment ago in an interview, you're out. Because if you can't have respect for me, you're not going to have respect for any other woman on that team. No thanks. That's an easy standard for me as a woman, right? What I know that you're super sensitive to people's, how people treat women in the workplace as well. How do you feel out for those kinds of things?
1: So that's a great question and actually i have a little bit of breaking news that i'll get to you i'll get to in a minute for you that because of when i know that this is going to be airing i have the ability to say it but i don't have a traditional interview process so i hate asking people tell me about yourself I
0: don't
1: because know. yeah like it's, it's not a fucking a, question
0: dan it's not you know, a question it, it's no, it's an imperative it's, statement.
1: Exactly. When I jump on calls with people, first of all, it's not going to be 10 minutes. I typically set aside 30 to 40 minutes and I try to build a relationship with people. I, I tell them off the I tell them point blank, if you want to go on video, we could go on video. If you want to go on audio, we could go on audio. Whatever you think is going to present you yourself in the best light and make you the most comfortable, I'm cool with. Because I don't believe that. We should be forcing anybody into one. And then I start off the conversation. I just say, this is going to be very relaxed. I want you to know that I work on your behalf. I am here because I saw something in you that leads me to believe that you could be a good asset for the organization. And simply by putting that positive message out first puts people at ease because, first of all, it catches them off guard. They're not used to it. But it, it tells them something. Now, when it comes to more closely in line with what your question is i watch out for it but obviously like i'm not a woman i can't count the times but so i have to rely more on are they interrupting are they do they have active listening skills directly ask questions that test their mettle in in certain difficult situations or perceive difficult situations and just to be clear when we talk about difficult situations that doesn't mean everybody else thinks that they're difficult but if you put them in a if I say to you you're in um, a board meeting and your female coworker is talking and somebody goes to interrupt and somebody interrupts her while she's in the middle of speaking what do you do if they say I ignore it get the fuck out of here I want to see what their thought process is uh, and I want to understand that and I really 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 don't tolerate gung ho macho bullshit.
0: You're um, such a gung ho macho guy, so.
1: <laughs> yeah, this shirt is is comfortable. Uh, don't. <laughs> uh, I'm not. I, I'm not Paul Bunyan. It's quite literally soft on the inside, which I love. But this all being said, so something I found out right before the break, which you, I know you're going to be excited about is starting in january i'm going to be leading all dei recruiting efforts for my division of amazon it's not an official title it's not a bump i don't even know if it's something i should i'm allowed to announce but i'm going to be the point person and really helping to find how we go about uh doing this which is which speaks to me on such a on such a massive level and i'll tell you the first thing that i did is I went to one of our software development engineers that, that's uh, both a female, but also a leader. And I said, how can we bring more women into tech? What do you think we're missing? I'm not a woman. I'm sensitive, but, <laughs> but, uh, but, I'm, not, but I'm not a woman. And even that's a microaggression, just saying that right there. So don't do that, guys. So for as much as I want to say, this is theoretically a good idea. This is theoretically going to make things work. At the end of the day, if you don't ask the people who it's affecting, you are missing the point of what we're trying to do. So that was the first thing I asked. And this person paused and like, ooh, I have some thoughts on this for you. I want to hear them and I want to take them. And of course, there's things that I'm not going to be able to control with with a large company. I'm not going to be able to, to Post everybody's salary on the door. (laughs) Yeah, like I'm I'm not going to be able to affect your vacation time or anything like that. But what I can do is I can try to, as I'm teaching new people that are coming on board, I can tailor it to being a a more inclusive uh, environment. And you know what? I'm not stupid. Do I think that I'm going to be able to make a difference throughout all of the company? Probably not. But if I can make a difference on our team, and then as people move on to different teams, they bring that piece with them. This is how we start to move things around and create inclusivity. It's about building leaders that are unafraid to talk about what needs to be changed. This is why I got into this in the beginning. This is why I do what I do. I work 20 hours a day, because when I'm looking at my twin daughters, when I'm looking at Brooklyn and Haley, if I'm not doing everything I can to make the world a better place, so when they get older, they can look at me and say, what can I do? Can I be anything I want in this world? I want to be able to say, yes, I can. But here's the the most important thing that I hope people take away from, from this. There's a lot of talk about breaking the glass ceiling. Or getting off of the sticky floor, fuck that. Let's remove the motherfucking thing. We don't. We're we're past the point of breaking it. It needs to be removed. That was a tent. That was ADHD tangent. Thank you very much.
0: No, I think that was a great tangent though, and I totally agree. Like, I I joke only half that my husband and I, when we started making babies, we were like, let's go, we want a girl. And I was so ready. I was going to, we were going to work together and we we're going to smash the patriarchy. And I was ready. And then I made two little boys without a lot of melanin and blonde hair. And I was like, are you kidding me? I freaking made the patriarchy. And so for me, I hear you what you're saying, because I feel like a huge part of my job as a mom is to make sure that I'm not raising the problem now right like that when my boys and your girls are both going into the job market that they don't have a sense of entitlement over and above your girls now in the specific instance of hailing brooklyn i feel like they would not be given a chance <laughs> those you know, girls would funny. definitely put them in their place it's funny about
1: that um my wife so for those that don't know You are the only person I know from social media that actually knows my wife. So it's kind of a running joke that if I do anything wrong, I'm in trouble. But Jen got them, So they, they love little people. So Jen wound up getting them female heroes. So it has Condoleezza Rice, it has Rosa Parks, and all these different people. And then when I went and got them Barbies, I made a very strong point that one of the Barbies is black and then the other is mixed with multicolored hair. And it's because, and, and taking this a step further, so just so people understand where I'm coming from. I'm Jewish. My wife is not. My wife kept her last name. I didn't have a problem with it. We are raising our children with knowledge of all religions, not just Catholicism, not just Judaism, because we want our kids to be brought up in it with a sense of equality so that they could stand up and i feel like that's needed more time than ever now quick non sequitur one thing i've been meaning to come back to but i didn't know how to broach it is you said that you have silent time at home i've met your husband what fucking silent time (laughs) he sleeps
0: (laughs) he goes places
1: I adore your like your your husband is a great guy. But if I had to put a list of adjectives to describe him, silent yeah. is not cool. Silent or quiet is not one of the two. I would I would say, like yeah. seriously, <laughs> trying to get Giles off the phone is like when you're dating in high school. It's like, no, you get off first. No, you get off first. No, you get off first. Only you're the person that's saying, no, I want to get the fuck off. Stop talking. <laughs>
0: Uh, he's an overcommunicator,
1: <laughs> and this is coming from somebody that talks too much but so, when, I, when, we, when I talk but about it is Michelle, actually part
0: of his neurodiversity as well so he's ADHD yeah. and so yeah. he squirrels and so between the two of you it's amazing you ever got off the phone honestly
1: <laughs> honestly please don't tell my I said this I was trying for 10 minutes <laughs> I had to go to the bathroom so bad.
0: Oh, Dan, that's the worst. I'm so sorry.
1: <laughs> and he and he kept on talking. I didn't want to be rude, because he's like, "This is this is like my best friend's husband." Like, how do I how do I get off? And I'm sitting.
0: And you I'm, say I gotta pee. I'll talk to you later. Bye.
1: Yeah, I. And granted, Giles is also one of the smartest guys I've ever met, but yeah, I got to be honest. So this conversation, even for what it was, didn't even dive in as deep as I expected us to go. I have stories on deck for you that I haven't told anybody that I was ready to bust out.
0: Well, we have a few minutes left, so give me one of those stories.
1: Okay, so... Most people know my story from unemployment to now. What most people don't know is I grew up very in time. My father was very, very poor growing up, but because of that, once he got into banking, he wanted my brother and I to have everything he did. And as such, I grew up in a household where we basically had everything that we wanted. And then being neurodiverse and being so focused, I really wasn't paying attention. I didn't have a large social awareness. My parents, when I was 24, decided they wanted to retire to Florida. And I knew at that time that I was not socially where I needed to be. I made a decision to move to San Diego. I had a part-time retail job. And nothing else. I had somebody that was supposed to stay with. She wound up kicking me out after a week because, unbeknownst to me, she actually had a crush on me. And I was, I had met Jen like my first day here. So when I moved out here, I had no, I was so used to being entitled that and having everybody else do everything for me that. I, w- I knew I needed to mature, but what I didn't realize at the time was how far I would fall. I grew up in Entitled, and I wound up in a place where I was scraping by by the skin of my teeth, having to survive on ramen because I didn't have, if I didn't, I wouldn't have enough money to pay rent. And for seven, six to seven years, I'll never say that I gave up white privilege because you can't give up white privilege. But what I will say is I had a very opposite experience. And I learned what it was like to live in that manner. And it was one of the most humbling but necessary times of my life. And quite frankly, I don't know why Jen stayed with me because she was there that entire time. I wound up moving in with her a I week like into like in the dirty stadium.
0: joke version of this, this is when he licks his eyebrow.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so when we talk <laughs> about things that I probably shouldn't go into with, <laughs> based on my based on my based on on where i am on on a social level and social responsibility that that probably took us to about here now that's a private conversation that we could have but that is not one i am going to get into right now although i actually have a really freaking funny story about that uh, and by the way this isn't a talk about adhd the things That's another thing. I feel like I'm at this point where I can't joke around with people because they have this expectation, oh, you're, I'm this vulnerable person that helps with blah, 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 blah.
0: Mr. Sensitive, Mr. Nice Guy all the time. That's a lot of
1: pressure. Yeah, it it is.
0: As problematic as she's become, I think Ellen actually in one of her stand-up things did a bit that makes me think of you in this regard because she was talking about like when you're the celebrity, when you're the nice celebrity, and that's your brand, and that's what everybody knows. She's like, and somebody cuts you off in traffic, you can't be like, oh, fuck it. you just going to be like, okay. <laughs> and, and how much pressure and frustrating that is. Because human beings are not always nice. And no, I, I... I feel like you must, as the nice guy on LinkedIn, that has to occasionally just. Oh, it drives me
1: nuts. So I was in a room one time on Clubhouse and everybody was, was telling their favorite nursery rhymes. So I, I, I speak up as a, uh,
0: There once was a man mother... a minute, I can...
1: <laughs> No, I said, "Old oh, mother hubber went to the cupboard to get her dog a bone. She bent over, rover took over. Now she's got a bone of her own. And I wind up getting a message on Instagram, Dan, you can't do that. You're supposed to be like the nice father. And I'm like, Of all the Andrew Dice Clay nursery rhymes, that was the most censored one I could be. Like it wasn't like I was saying Jack and Jill went up the hill each with a dollar and a quarter. She came down with a dollar fit with two fifty. That (laughs) like it's not like I was saying that, and like I'm being told oh you can't joke around. Like I grew up on oh. Mel Brooks and Andrew Days Clay and married with children and George Carlin and, and all the and all these others and by the way those are the only two funny Jewish comedians we we we've given what we've given Woody Allen back <laughs> he's no longer welcome in the tribe
0: Adam Sandler he
1: stopped being funny after Billy Madison like for those that don't know Adam Sandler like he used to be. The beating of a high school janitor. Like, back on his actual comedy CDs that were hilarious. And eight crazy nights, like, we talk about Hanukkah movies. I'm sorry, I'll call the kettle black. That was a shitty freaking Hanukkah movie. I can't watch it. Do you know how hard it is for a Jewish kid to say, oh, I don't want to watch that Hanukkah movie because how bad it is, and it's the only one? Like, seriously, I, had, I took ownership over grumpy cat christmas because it's the only thing mildly entertaining and i just pretend that grumpy cat is not 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 sorry non-denominational
0: there you go believe it or not we are out of time i could talk to you for hours but i think that leaving on the nobody is one-dimensional and whatever you think you see and know about somebody is one part of the complicated structure of humanity that they are behind that is a good note. Are there any other final words of wisdom you wish to impart before we say goodbye? My ADHD
1: is going re- to be going over this conversation and wondering if, if I gave the most out of it because here, here's my thing. My expectations when it comes with other people are fairly high. My expectations what, when it comes to you, Rational. and pe- people won't understand this because we haven't met in, a, a, in real life, but like... You are as close as I come to having a safe. So when I say that I want to do right by you, it's because I love you so much that I want it to be perfect because I want you to get exactly what you want out of it. And I put a lot of pressure on myself to, to ensure that is, even though I know that you don't give a shit. So, like it's completely self-inflicted. Okay, so answering your question, is there a last bit of information that I want to impart on people that I haven't already said a thousand and fifty times over? Yes, if you are looking for an internship, please stop messaging me. <laughs> I cannot help you. <laughs> I cannot help you. Um or what's a, real, what's a real piece of advice? Oh, if you are lactose intolerant, do not drink wine on the same day you choose to have ice cream. Or eat White Castle. Either way, there needs to be like a 10-day cooling off period before you're allowed around me.
0: Uh, okay, fair enough.
1: Yes, and never be in a room with Giles after he has Mexican food and no way out.
0: Fair after he has mexican food or after you have mexican food in the no way out
1: after. i don't know why i'm into into teasing giles today but let's go with him
0: that's fine he needs it <laughs> 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 thank you so much i appreciate it thank you dan you've been listening to hey i want your job for more information on how you can get your own awesome job, visit ONH Consulting at www.onhconsulting.com. We offer incredible resumes, no-nonsense career advice, and real-world tips for landing a job in today's market. Check us out on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Insta for more insider information. Soon, you'll be hearing us say, I'm Michelle Olivier, and hey, I want your job.